Hi, I am Kyle. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Social Ninjas. Hiya! Jeremy and I both struggled with social anxiety and mental health overall. Now we both work to improve our own mental health and the mental health of others by sharing what we did to help our social anxiety and what we learn and continue to do to improve upon our own mental health. What we share is what we learn from our own experiences. We are not mental health professionals and what we say should not be used in place of or replacement of medication or your doctor. Enjoy Enjoy the the show. show. Welcome to the Social Ninjas. I am your co-host Kyle. Join with me as always is Jeremy. What is going on, Jeremy? Hey, Kyle. (laughs) I always feel compelled to say nice to meet you just because you said it to me a few episodes back. (laughs) Anyways, nice to see you again. And then we also have two very special guests with us joining us, and it is Aris and his wife, Aliza. What's going on, guys? Hi, Kyle. Hey, what's up, guys? We were very excited to be here on The Social Ninjas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> so for people who don't know who you are, I know we kind of stumbled upon you via Instagram as we were just talking about a minute ago. Can you guys kind of explain kind of what you do? Um, Well, basically what we do is we use our platforms to help people try to get what they want using communication. So it's a bit of a broad idea of what you want, because that is able to encapsulate anything like job-wise, social, dating, or just family, anything that you want, but using communication in order to accomplish that. I could not have said it better. I couldn't have said it a bit better. (laughs) My follow-up is uh, what led to you being so passionate about doing that? I want to, I love Aris's story. It's like, that's why I'm asking this. Okay. So uh, I'm going to try to make it uh, this long story short, but basically uh, since I was young, I had a, a really bad stutter. Like I couldn't speak. It was very difficult for me to converse with like new people or even with my family members. I kept tripping on my words. I, and then because of that, uh, of that stutter issue, it inhibited a lot of my communication abilities. And I was very shy and I didn't want to speak up because I knew I would be, people would, would make fun of me at, at school or wherever I was. But the, for some reason, I, and I don't know how to explain it, there was this one day in middle school where I just told myself, I cannot let this stutter like beat me. I have to find a way to overcome this issue. And I, again, I don't know what came into me. It just happened. And then from that point on, I started reading about communication. I started to uh, read books, go to seminars in middle school and then in high school. And I kept doing this in college. And I started learning so much about the facets of communication, job-wise, dating-wise. Because a lot of times when you're trying to, trying to get a job or you're trying to go out with someone or you know, just trying to become more likable. There's a lot of different principles that uh, intertwine. So I started to learn all this stuff, and then people kept telling me, "Aurus, you're you're a pretty good conversationalist." And at first, I didn't believe it, but there came a point where I was like, "Okay, I got something here. Let me do something with it." So then the whole journey began, and then I started in my early years of college. Um, when I was like 18, I'm 24 now, uh, I started, you know, like doing little, little seminars here and there. And a couple of years later, I tra- I moved uh, to start doing online stuff on Instagram, on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. And then later on, I met my wife here, Lisa, and she also had a, 
amazing communication skills. And then she was teaching me a bunch of things. And then we decided to come together, get married, of course. And also our brand also got together as well. Uh, yeah. As for me, it was a little bit different. I didn't have a stutter growing up, but um, I was really, really fascinated with psychology since like elementary school. And my dad worked in a college and he used to bring me back college textbooks. And I would just sit there and I would like read them as if they were just regular books. And this continued till I was in college and I was like, okay, I'm gonna be a psychologist. But then things changed and I decided that was not the career path for me. But reading all about it and just interacting with people in general really showed me that most conflicts between people arise just from insecurities and from people not understanding each other. Just from the fact that someone is nervous about something and then they project those insecurities into the actual conversation and it causes issues. So I really dislike fighting with people and I dislike confrontation as you know. And anytime I have like issues with confrontation, I'm like, okay, how do you help me? Um, but I decided that I was gonna really work on my communication skills so I would never get to that point to prevent all of those issues. Just make sure that people really knew what I was trying to say and I could actually really hear what they were trying to say rather than what was just coming out of their mouths. Um, and then I met Aurus and we were talking and talking and talking and I didn't actually know until like a month into dating Aurus that he actually had like this whole Instagram stuff because he never told me. Um, and then my friend calls me up and she's like, did you know that he does this stuff? I'm like, I should probably Google him. Um, and then <laughs> later on, he's like, listen, Aliza, it's kind of been my dream to do this with whoever I'm with. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll try. I didn't have any social media at the time. No Instagram, no Facebook, no nothing. Um, but then slowly got more and more involved. And now um, I try to help as much as I can. That's amazing. So you have, you have social media now, and how's that going? Uh, well, I just piggyback on Aurus. <laughs> uh, so you, you talked about using your conversation skills to, uh, with, with confrontation, because you, you know, I'm not a fan of confrontation myself. Something I extremely struggle with. I, I know we did a whole episode. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You love it. <laughs> no, I know, but anyways, you're throwing me off. <laughs> Good. But uh, anyways, how do you use your conversation skills to prevent getting in situations that are confrontational? Um, well, there's a bunch of different ways. Um, the first thing I always try to do is make sure that my emotions are chill because you're not really gonna be able to see anything clearly if your emotions are coming up to the front. So if I see the conversation is getting to the point where it might be super confrontational, um, and I really care about this conversation to really be authentic, what I'll do is I'll separate myself from that conversation a little bit. And I'll try to think about what was going on before the conversation. Try to think about if there was anything going on with me that might've sparked things being ignited a little bit higher than they should have. Um, I try to think about maybe anything that's going on in their lives just to get kind of background and context. Um, the other thing I always try to remind myself, and this is super, super important for people in general, is that most of the time people really don't have a problem with you. It's very, very rare that people are like, yeah, I just, I want to ruin this person's life and I want to ruin their day and just all that stuff. Like people have better stuff to do, honestly. So if you pull your ego down and stop thinking like, how dare they do this to me and start thinking like, well, what was the purpose of that? Why were they trying to say that? 
that'll bring you down kind of a trail of trying to understand them. And it's also going to inspire a lot of questions to ask, right? So instead of going in and being like, well, you know, you're awful or being confrontational, you'll go in trying to learn from the other person the next conversation. And when you go in trying to learn from the other person the next conversation, they feel a lot less defensive because they see, oh, you're not attacking them, even though they may have attacked you a little bit. You're coming in and being like, listen, something went down. I'm not sure what, but I really want to know what's going on. So um, you were talking about this. Can you give me a little bit more information? You use very calm language, nothing about you being insulted or anything like that. Very matter of fact. Um, do you have anything to add? That's like the basics of what I do. Yeah, I, I, I would also say the same thing. But another key thing that I really do is that there's something specific that I do because I've noticed and I've, oh, there's also tons of literature on this information as well is that a lot of times problems arise from ridiculous beginnings, from ridiculous origins. The way a problem starts a lot of times is because there was a misunderstanding. It probably was a dumb joke. It probably was just like a little bit of sarcasm. And then it becomes this huge thing, right? But then what happens, there's that expression. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna say it right. If I say it wrong, you, you guys can correct me. But it takes two to tango, right? Right? You said it right. I did say it right. Okay, it takes, it takes two to tango. So, <laughs> so then if it's only one person, they're not really gonna be dancing tango all by themselves. That might be a little weird. It might be a little weird, but it takes two to tangle. So a lot of times for a lot of issues, not only maybe, let's say they started, but also if you continue it, then of course something's going to rise. So what I do personally, and what I've told a lot of people as well, is that I'll work on my own ego, which means that I purposely will take my ego and I'll throw it on the floor and I'll step on it a couple times. I've seen him do it. It's like, I'm like, Whoo. and then I'll put it back inside of me. And I'll probably do that every day because an ego, of course, it has its pros and its cons, but a lot of times our ego can get it in the way. So if we're so all um, almighty and so big, it's all because of our egos because we think we're all that. But if you can come back, take that and like hit it or like, well, what I'll do too is I'll purposely put myself in a situation when I'm with people or like with family where I'll allow and I'll, and I'll make sure that people make fun of me. Like they'll make fun of me or they'll crack jokes about me. Um, and honestly, like, I really don't care. It's fine. Uh, of course, when I was younger, I used to be a little bit more sensitive about people saying jokes about my stutter, but now I've come to a place where I, I don't even care about that. Cause that was my past and I'm here due to that. So I have to be kind of thankful as well. So I take my ego and I, I put myself in situations where people, where people can make fun of me. I look at myself, of course, I do take myself serious in the right moments, but when, when I don't have to, I'll also make fun of myself. And I purposely will do that in front of other people. So they'll be like, oh, how can I really fight with this guy if like he's not, he's not, he's not contributing to this argument. Now, most of the time that's going to work. And of course, there are those few times where the origin of a problem is very serious, super serious. And that takes another uh, level of skill set. But that's what I like to do. And for the most part, I really that's the way I really avoid confrontation. And it works for me, I would probably say more than 85, 90% of the time. There's two things I would like to add to that, actually. Um, the first thing is also, when you know you're going to go into a conversation that you know is going to be a little bit confrontational, um, I find that it really helps a lot if you kind of outline in your head before where your lines are, right? Like, what are you trying, what's the goal of the conversation? How far are you willing to take it? Um, 
what do you think you need to defend yourself for and what you think you don't need to defend yourself for. That's really important to outline beforehand because that way during the conversation, it's not like you're having like a million little confrontations at once, right? Because every time they say something insulting in your head, you're kind of like, do I defend or do I go and like attack, attack right? Attack. Um, so instead of doing that, you can just be like, is this important or is this not? So you can choose move on or engage in this conversation at this element, right? The other thing that I would say is really important is to know that you can ignore things in a conversation. You know, like let's say someone's coming at you, right? And you want to get the conversation back on track. You don't have to respond to what they said just there. You can literally just be like, okay, I hear what you're saying, um, but what about this, right? And just go to the next thing. Because if you don't engage with it, then they're just like, well, I threw something out there and it's out there that they know. And then they move on. And then it's just a matter of like letting your own ego, let it go. That's some, a lot of good tips. Uh, one thing that comes or a lot of things come to mind because you guys threw out some amazing stuff is uh, the when I'm angry and I'm trying to have a conversation and it doesn't work. I remember I was reading it in a, in a study that was done. And when um, I am really angry and upset, uh, the, the actual conversation is, is diminished because my fight or flight is activated. And when my fight or flight is activated, my logical part of my brain shuts off and it says like, you know, back in the caveman, woman days of, defend 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 so logic was out the window so calming down as well that is such a good tip calm down first to have a discussion rather than an argument sometimes easier said than done and i really liked the tip about like you don't have to respond to everything a person says because sometimes there's like bullies and people that want to get you angry like if you react to them that's what they want you to do and you don't give them what they want you're you're validating it because it's like this dynamic of um doing it because he's actually he's, he's reacting almost for sure, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I actually have seen Aurus do this really, really well. Like I like what he was saying before about trampling his own ego. That's kind of his training. And like I have learned so much just seeing him like have like people say stuff and he's just like, okay, and moving on. And like because he's trained himself, he's it doesn't actually affect him long term because a lot of people are worried, like, well, if I let people just like knock me down all the time, I don't, my ego's gonna go down, right? My self esteem is gonna go down. But it's a matter of training yourself in the moments where you're not in confrontation, like Aurus was saying earlier, because that way, when you're in that actual moment, you know who you are. You have set those boundaries in your head so that when people make those jokes, you know what the truth is. So it's important to do that training even when you're not in the actual moments of confrontation. I have a quick question, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna like Kyle ask a question. <laughs> I, uh, as far as the as far as the, the throwing your ego on the floor and stomping at it, is there any sort of internal dialogue that you do that's going on as you're doing that? So, are you talking about like in the situations where there's like a real conflict, or the ones where there uh, where I'm like I do it every day and stuff like that? That one. <laughs> right, either so that one. Okay. Either one. <laughs> well, I think that in order for someone to do this, they also have to have some sort of like like good self-esteem, like, like you have to be confident in yourself. And again, like something that people always say, you know, it's easier said than be done, right? A lot of times it's all about, you gotta have confidence, but it's difficult to gain that, um, that level of confidence. There's so much knowledge out there and so much, so many books on how to, on how to gain confidence. But a lot of things that have helped me gain confidence in order to get to a point like that is I'm always trying to, number one, like learn new things, constant, consistently learn new things and apply it in, in, in my life, read books, go to seminars, just keep learning 
And that helps me because when you keep learning or I don't know, maybe you're into exercise or you're trying to better yourself in just any way possible, you now, not only have you gained more knowledge, you're becoming a better person and then you can share that with everyone else. And when you can see the progress you've done in a couple months or weeks or years, whatever the case is, you can say, wow, I've gotten better in this aspect. This is something I love or something I enjoy. I've gotten better in this. So, and then you automatically feel better about yourself, but it's always about moving, not being stagnant. Again, sounds super, super simple, but you people would be surprised how many people just stay stagnant at a level, either financially or, or uh, secular, or like knowledge in their head or education. I mean, you don't have to improve in everything, but the things you want to, it's, it's very important to do that. But doing those moments where I'm throwing my ego on the floor, it's like in the beginning, beginning, when I first started doing this, I remember that I, I would have to t tell myself uh, that basically, uh, wait, wait, we're just charging the computer. Okay, that, uh, that, that, that basically that whatever people say, I, like, like Aliza mentioned, I know the truth. Am I really this person? Am I really that type of person? Uh, no, I know who I really am. I know who I'm not. So, right, you know what I mean? Of course, they always say, you know, behind every joke, there's some type of truth, which is true, which is true. But as long as you're confident and you know who you are or who you're not, no matter what people say, it's whatever. And then also, I, I always tell myself, you know, I don't live with this person. I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm probably not, not gonna see this person every day. And something that Elisa mentioned in the beginning is that I always have in mind that everyone or most people have some type of insecurity. Maybe they're insecure about their masculine, about, the, about how masculine they are, or maybe their voice or how they look or about their job or their position. It's, everyone's always insecure about something. And that has nothing to do with me. And also, in a way, you kind of have to feel bad for them because I think, okay, if I was this person and I was insecure for this reason, right, I could see why, I could see how this person can project that onto me by this joke. They're trying to bring me down so that they can feel better. Now, this is all what I'm thinking in a couple of seconds. Now, of course, maybe not up to, not all these details, these minute details, but the themes of it, the themes of it. But I do it every day so then it can just come natural to me where it's like, whatever, people joke around about me or they say something, I don't care, whatever. I'll, I'll let that water go off my back. I don't really care. Can I add one thing? Yeah. Just like a practical level of this, um, a friend of mine one time called me and you know, people can be really hard on themselves, right? Like they're saying like, well, I suck at this, I suck at that and all that stuff. And um, I started like listing the things. I was like, what do you mean? You did this, you did that, you did this, you did that and all that things. And what happens is your mind is also against yourself, like either attacking or defending yourself a lot of times, right? And if you're in a negative state of mind about yourself, then you're gonna see all of your flaws and everything that you don't like about yourself, but none of the positives, right? So when I told her, I was like, listen, when you're in those moments, you gotta prepare yourself for those. So how do you do that? Take a piece of paper and whenever you do something you're proud of, write it down. Have like little bullet points of like things that you are really proud you did that you're like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then when you're in those negative mindsets, you say like, okay, listen, maybe I have a point. Maybe I am the worst person in the world, but let's, let's look at the other things. And if I still think I'm the worst person in the world, then I'm really the worst person in the world. So you look it over and it's kind of like, you have to remember like, even though maybe in that moment people were making fun of you, it's just a moment in comparison to all of those other great things that you did. So it's a way that you can start building up confidence. And then the longer you do it, the more confidence you have because the more things you can add to that list.
I like it. That reminds me of a uh, previous guest we had on, <clears throat> Gary, Gary Ware. He talked about purposeful play, but he said something similar and he called it his uh, fuck yeah folder. <laughs> it was basically like everything that was like awesome. He put in this folder and anytime like, you know, you start to like feel like shit or whatever, you could pull up this folder and start, you know, reading off all this stuff and yeah, just kind of boost confidence. So yeah, that, that's cool. Um, you were talking about earlier, just going back a little bit about about the confrontation and making and feeling like, well, I don't want to let people walk all over me. And it's all about like training your brain to, you know, be good with you. And it doesn't matter what others think. How, how do you go about the training on that? Training yourself to be good with you? Yeah. Um, you know, I was just having a conversation with a friend about this because she did a lot of seminars recently. Well, she went to a lot of seminars recently about shame, right? Um, and shame is something that everybody has, right? Like everyone has some level of shame, but a lot of people are ashamed of the fact that they have shame, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, no, 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 no. I, I have perfect self-esteem. I'm the most confident individual in the world. There's nothing that's bad, right? A big part of being cool with who you are is also being cool with the fact that you're not so proud of certain things. That you're like, yeah, those things could be better. Because what happens when, like, you know how like a lot of people say like, um, only your mom would call you beautiful or things like that, right? Because you know that your mom technically is gonna only say good things about yourself. Some people try to mother themselves in that way and they try to only say good things about themselves. They try to say like, oh, you're the best. Oh, you're this. And they say all these good things and they don't engage with any of the negative parts, right? Or the parts that they want to work on, right? You can't trust yourself that way. You can't trust yourself to be authentic. You're going to have self-doubt and it's going to just create more and more insecurity. So you're never going to be good with yourself. What I find is really good is two things. First of all, honesty with yourself and having people around you that are super, super honest with you as well, right? Like if Aurus every time I cook something said like, oh, this is delicious, I would be like, okay, it means nothing now because you always say that, right? But if he says like, listen, this, this, I mean, it was good, but this stuff was better. He can say that something wasn't my best dish without an insulting me. You have to learn to talk to yourself like that, right? You have to learn to say like, listen, you're not the best at math right now. You're not the best at first dates right now. So let's work on improving it. What can we do? And then you start trusting yourself and you start believing, okay, this is fine. I can improve because I know where I'm at. Like an evaluation of yourself, right? Um, in Judaism, actually, there's this thing called a cheshbon ha-nefesh, which is an accounting of the soul that people are supposed to do every day, which is basically look over your day and look at, over your actions and say like, okay, where am I at? How am I doing? rather than just sitting there and saying like, oh, I'm great, because you're in denial about everything, be accepting of the things that are not so great. Because you know in the future, you can always get better as long as you put those steps in. But if you don't look at yourself honestly, you're never gonna get there and you're never gonna be okay with yourself because you're too scared to actually face yourself. So if you yourself can talk to yourself honestly and you have those people around you, when you are doubting yourself too much, that can reinforce whether or not you are good in an area or not so you don't always have to rely on yourself you can rely on the people that you trust around you then you're in a really good space and you're just going to go up from there there was a, a seminar Aliza and i went to uh, uh last year last year and there was this one speaker 
who basically said this, something similar to what Lisa said, but he went to a little bit more in depth. And I think you're going to remember Lisa. He basically said that you need three types of people. I mean, I think the number was more, but I'm going to, I'm going to simplify it a this little bit where he says that you need three types of people in your life. The people that bring you up, the people that state where your issues at, like, you know, where they poke at your flaws. And the third types are the people that can bring you solutions. Now, of course, I'm again, I'm, I'm oversimplifying. So I think basically you need a balance in your life of these three types of people, people that can bring you up and they're great because they bring your self-esteem up. You, you can think about the things you've done or you've said, you're like, man, I really did all these great things. But then if you only have them, you will never get better. But then if you have too much of people who are just telling, hey, you have this issue, this issue, you could do this better. You're always going to feel like crappy and you'll feel like you never accomplished anything. And the people that can always bring you solutions, because once you have a problem, it's not, you know, that, that, that cliche expression, they say, you know, uh, once there's an issue, okay, now we have to find the solution. So cliche, but it's so true. So you have these three types of people in your life as a balance and they can help you, you know, uh, get better in that mindset of yours, but also when it comes to your emotions, it's the brain, the emotions are made in your brain. There's actually a great book. I'm actually going to hold it right here. I'm in the middle of reading it. It's, uh, it's a big book. It's called How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. Great book, but I have to reread it. I, I, I did read it, but I have to reread it because it was so dense. It was so complicated. I have to go back and, and reread it. But it's basically, again, the emotions and a, a big emotions are made in the brain. So if you can control that, you'll be good. So yeah. Mm. yeah I, I relate a lot to <clears throat> yeah i think sometimes we feel like it's bad to have people in our lives that kind of will tell us but i've told uh or tell us kind of what our flaws are and stuff and i've told jeremy like that's what i love about my wife like she will be honest with me no matter what like she ain't just gonna say you know what i want to hear and uh yeah that's such a powerful thing to have so i i relate to the dinner thing she'll tell me if my dinner sucks <laughs> not in that way but <laughs> she's like damn you gotta get better but it's important get... that these people know how to say it in like a positive way that it's not like right. like what's wrong with you i mean like my family was always like very like like competitive competitive and critical type of thing so like we all got like a very thick skin but like everyone like walking around like what's wrong with you like it can't be like that that's just gonna get you defensive it has to be like very positive like listen it could be better type of thing yeah. So if I made you this meal and I like put all this work into it, you'd be like, Jeremy, you can do better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually used something there um, called the, uh, the, I think it's called the criticism sandwich. Compliment, criticism, compliment, right? So like, let's say, let's take the cooking, right? Let's say uh, something's missing salt. I could be like, wow, the texture in this is amazing. Like, I don't even know how you built up that texture. I feel like maybe it needed a little bit of salt, but my gosh, the way that you built up these beats or something like that, it's amazing. You see how you do that? So it's not any, it's not like you're like, oh my gosh, they don't like this. They're making it clear. They really like it. This is just maybe something they could do. And for tonight's dinner, that's exactly what I'm going to tell her. I just get it. Yeah, you just taste yeah. it. <laughs> I love that. I have a question on just on conversation. What are your uh, favorite conversation tips uh, that you tell people? as perhaps starting them and continuing them and building the relationship with conversation and etc. Um, one of my favorites that's really helped me in life um, 
in Hebrew, there's a couple different words for hearing and listening, right? There's one that in particular strikes me, like there's hearing to like pay attention to someone, right? And there's like just ingesting material, but not internalizing it. And then there's one Shema, which means listen and understand. So what I would say to people is um, when you're in a conversation, go in seeking to understand them. Don't go in seeking for them to understand you necessarily. Go in seeking to understand them. Because that way, if the other person isn't so masterful in the art of conversation, when you're curious about them, they can open up and they can carry on that conversation, right? You can keep coming up with questions, which is going to spark the conversation more. Um, but also, it helps you whenever you understand something more, you get more invested in it, you get more curious about it. So the more curious you are in the conversation, the more engaged you're going to be, the more authentic, the more enjoyable the conversation is going to be for you. So that's what I would say. I think it really, so, so that, that's a great technique and I think it does work. There's just one thing I've noticed that people who are trying to improve their communication skills, which includes me and just everyone else, is that they fall in, uh, onto the, in this trap called the interview trap, where it's like, basically they're asking so many questions that then the person feels like, hey, why are you asking so many, so many questions? Am I in an interview? Like, well, like, what's up? This happened to me once many years ago where I was trying to speak to a, a group of people and there was a particular person and I was just asking so many questions because I was interested. I really was. And I was using this technique. I was, I was trying to implement it. And the person called me out on it, not rudely, but he was like, hey, are, why are you asking me so many questions? Am I in an interview? And from that point on, I learned it's a great thing, but there has to be a balance. Like you can't overdo it, but you don't want to underdo it. So that's one thing I'm always like very, just tell people to be careful of. And I also, the question you asked, Jeremy, it's a very difficult one to answer because how to start and end or continue conversations, it really depends on the culture you're raised in. It depends on where you at at the moment, like environment, like are you at a networking party? Are you at a at a club? Are you at a, a friend's house where there's a lot of random people you don't know? Are you with family members? So it really depends. But one thing that I've done a lot, and also we, we, we speak a lot, a lot in our podcast or in our videos that we've mentioned is that something I love to do is I always like to start the beginning. It doesn't have to be like super flamboyant or super like, like top notch out of this world, but I always like to start at the beginning of a convo or if I'm approaching a group or someone with a little bit of a little, like I want to give them a little bit taste of like, I want to give them a little curious because I want to do something like a, just a tiny bit different, a tiny bit different. Either maybe the way I say something, maybe the way I phrase a question, maybe uh, I, I'm very upfront or I just go to them and say, hey, listen, um, I'm doing this and this and this. Could you help me out with this? Because when you go with the, I call this the, the opposite framework approach, where you do the opposite of what people usually do, right? But if you want to do something that a lot of people mostly do, just add that little hint, that, that little twinge of uniqueness that comes from you. So if someone's a, a natural shy person, it'll be a little weird. They come out of nowhere being super loud and just, and just coming out with all these colors and flavors. It's gonna, they're going to feel weird. And when something's not natural or not, or not really in sync with you, the other person might feel that. So you still want to be in par with your personality, but just add that little twinge in the beginning of the conversation. And to just continue it, it's what Elisa said, just be interested. But what I also love to do is when I'm interested, I'm asking more questions or I'm trying to learn more about 
this person, what I try to do, I try to find a topic that they're talking about that I would also be interested in. And from time to time, from time to time during the conversation, I'll throw hook points, I'll throw anchors, where I'll throw, for example, if Elise is talking to me or someone else is talking to me and they say, listen, I do archery and, you know, I, I've loved this since the age I was 15, right? And I find this interesting. I, and during the conversation, I could be like, you know, when I went to, um, I don't know, well, when I went to Colorado, I also saw this entire big ranch of people just doing some archery and, and I tried it myself. For you, what, what's the technique you use or blah, 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 whatever. My anchor point was Colorado. And I'll keep doing this. I'll find things that maybe are related to my life in archery and I'll throw it in there. So maybe, maybe it's Colorado or maybe it's uh, another country or maybe it's a movie about archery. I don't know. And maybe the person will also hook onto that hook point or, or to that anchor and then the conversation can continue. It's impossible to, to uh, what's the word, to uh, program and to think of how the whole conversation is going to be, especially when a guy is trying to talk to a girl or, or vice versa. A lot of times we try to like micromanage the whole conversation. I'll say this and then we'll talk about this. Impossible. Like, like it's not going to happen. It's too, a conversation is two people. It's too dynamic for you to control it. Um, okay. So just to clarify a little bit what you were saying, do you mean that like throughout the conversation, you'll give like um, almost like interesting like points that people could grab on and continue the conversation with? Is that? Correct. Yes. Okay. That and also what Elisa mentioned, which is throwing a uh, very non-cliche questions, or if you're going to take a cliche question, uh, phrase it differently. The, 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 so it doesn't sound cliche and ask them this. So then now they have to get into a different part of their brain. So maybe instead of asking the yes or no question, you take that yes or no question and you phrase it in a way where now they have to tell you a story or an experience of that topic, which now they're entering a different part of their brain to answer you their question, mm -hmm. AKA now they are more intrigued with you and, and your questions. So yeah. Um, you know what actually you can use building off of that is that the way your mind works, it's kind of like a spider web, right? And what it has is like at every cross point, think of it as a light, right? And every time one cross point is lit up, it lights up the surrounding areas as well, right? So even a word could spark things, right? So let's say I use the word like um, flabbergasted, right? It's not such a common word. So what's going to happen is if you use kind of like words that people don't hear so often is it lights up where they might have heard that before. And it'll bring in the experiences surrounding it, the things that they associate with that word that will allow them to share with you. So even without going into actual topic differently, even just using like interesting vocabulary, you can build the conversation because it's just going to spark different thoughts in their actual mind. Mm, so like it'll, it'll spread different top layer topics in their mind. Mm -hmm. Because the, it's all about what each person associates with, with each thing, right? Because... I associate two things differently. Like for me, let's say I think about um, physical therapy, right? Mm. Aldous works in physical therapy. So Aldous pops up in my head, right? The average person, when they hear the word physical therapy, they're not thinking about Aldous. They're thinking about maybe an injury, right? So that can spread to different areas for them than it would for me. So if you just throw in different things, all of their associations, anything that's surrounding that area of their brain, is they're going to be reminded of it. So it's going to be forefront. So that's what they're going to talk about. Yeah. So you get to get a wider area of what's going on in their head. And just to give uh, a quick example before we continue on, on your other questions. Um, when I first, first met Aliza, first met Aliza, when I first met her, 
I remember uh, I, I met her and stuff like that. And then she, I and then I was like, oh, let's so let's go for a walk. Oh, and yeah. then she tells me immediately. She's like, okay, what 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 are we gonna talk about? <laughs> so I that so that's a very uh, scary question. Like, well, what are we gonna talk about? So the first thing I said. Was like, how so she was challenging me there. What are we gonna talk about? <laughs> so then I decided. Let me let me start off this conversation with something a little bit different. Maybe something she hasn't heard. So I immediately said, I said, well. I actually brought with me a whole list of conversations. Uh, oh, sorry, a whole list of questions just for you. And, and he then pretended to take it out of his pocket. And, and I, I was like, "Really?" And I was wearing I was a like suit so jacket. Intrigued. And I and I remember I had a pen in there, but I had no piece of paper. So I pretended I was going into it to take out the piece of paper with the questions. She freaked out. She's like, "You have questions for me?" I was like, "Yeah." I and, was so excited. And I was like, and, and I wrote them down, and and I wrote it down, and then I took out the pen. But I was like, nah, I'm just joking. That would be a little psychopath. That'd be a little weird. But and it sparked then we, and then we, a lot of conversation just from that. And then two years later, now we're married. Or a year and a half later, now we're married. So yeah, so see. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'm so aggressive. <laughs> what are we going to talk about? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's funny that you thought that that would be kind of like a psychopath. But Elisa said she was excited that you were, <laughs> were going to do that. <laughs> It's taking a risk. Like you have to like say it to the right type of person. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. For Mike, it's I always talk, talk, a few things come to mind, and that's if you really uh, you know want to engage with someone, you need to be willing to lose them. And I say that in the in the sense of like it's you take risks. It's really important. And actually, what I did right, I did a technique on you guys right there that I learned in the Malcolm Gladwell book when you're having oh, a conversation with someone, and I was like, so your brain's like a spider web. And then it like gives them the indicator. You're like, I want to hear more about that. Continue. I think that's I, great. I think that's cool. Repeating the last three words or, or something, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah something yeah, like that. Just, if yeah. you're, you're, having, you're having a conversation, you're just like zoning off for most of it. You're like, oh crap. Oh, I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, I'm already so far in this away from this conversation. Oh, what do I? But it's one of those things where I had to learn to just come to the best I can right now. Like, let's just listen to the most I can in that moment. <laughs> you know, no, it, no, it definitely works. It definitely works. Uh, I remember that when, when I didn't read it actually in Malcolm Gladwell's book, I read it somewhere. I don't remember where, but I did read that. And they say that a lot of times you'll either use it if you like zone out a, a little bit. But the thing is that if you over, also, and I also like, I've seen, I actually saw someone actually years ago who knew this method as well. And they would use it so much that they, they would abuse it so much that the person would, I, I, I remember I was in that conversation. The person told him, what are you like a parrot are you repeating everything i'm saying and then i saw was like so i'm very glad that early on in my adventures in my journey to learning so much about communication i saw i personally made a lot of mistakes and i saw a lot of people make a lot of these mistakes and i saw how people can react because once if people realize that you're using a technique or like you're trying to use something you immediately lost all rapport so yeah um just building off of that there's two things also i want to say that um if people do catch you in the technique you can just say like, listen, I'm trying to work on my conversation skills. Um, I'm sorry, that was a little bit of a flop on my hand, but I do want to continue this conversation. Just tell them honestly what you were doing because people might be like, a technique, what do you mean? It's like, well, I'm not so confident in my conversation. I really want to improve it. So I've been reading a lot about it and this is one thing, right? People aren't going to get upset if you're working on yourself, right? Um, and I completely forgot. I want to kind of grab onto that. I got something on that. What right. you did there is, is, is vulnerability. And what we've learned, we had a past guest uh, ask deep questions and he, uh, he, he's really good at getting like depth deep conversations. 
and um, he talks about like as far as asking a, a really deep question you're like hey is it okay if I ask you like a deep question he primes them and on top of that he also talks about uh, well I guess Brene Brown always talks about vulnerability is the most courageous thing and vulnerability is what creates those deeper connections with people so it shows you're human and it shows you're being real and transparent um, yes, I 100% agree. My friend actually just re uh, recommended a Renee Brown book to me. Um, but just building on that, I think people do need to be able to differentiate between vulnerability and oversharing, right? Because a lot of times people are like, well, if I'm vulnerable, everyone just has to accept it, right? When you go into those conversations and you know you're going to be a little bit vulnerable, you also have to know that it's not their responsibility to accept it. They don't have to accept your vulnerability. Be like, okay, we'll take it elsewhere. And you have to be okay with taking it elsewhere then. If people don't want to accept it, that's it. So when you're being vulnerable with someone, like try still to hold back the emotion just a little bit. Like don't like overwhelm yourself in that conversation if they're not matching that overwhelm. Try to keep the emotions on the same plane with that person. Don't go overboard when they're going down. Try to match it a little bit. Mm, so... Uh... Just going going off a little bit, changing gears. What do you guys think about using like body language? Like, what are some like body language tips that you guys use or, or recommend? I know we're speaking a lot about the words that we're saying, but I know body language is a huge part in having communication, whether it's your own or like viewing somebody else's that you're talking to. So, can you give me some tips on what's what that would be like? Yeah. So. Um... So the thing with body language is that there's a lot of books on body language. Uh, there's one famous one called the, the art of body language, which is a good book. But what I like a lot of, a lot the, 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 about body language is that a lot of the books, like they'll tell you, like, listen, we're going to give you all these cluster, all, all these signs, all these clusters of signs. Just know that even though it's, it is backed up by science, just because someone is showing a certain sign, it doesn't always mean that. It has to be a whole it, bunch of them. It, it, in order, yeah, you got to get at least uh, at least more than two or three signs that there's that 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 maybe the yes, maybe they're feeling that emotion internally. They're probably not saying it, but they feel it and they're showing it through their body language. They they say that uh, in in order is first is body language, then your vocality, like how you say things, and then is the words. Like words count about seven percent of, of of communication. But of course, I mean they're all important, so you got to use all of them. I always um. When I'm, when I'm meeting someone or I'm speaking to someone, I'm always just looking like, I don't like there's books that really complicate this, like very much. Like, look, you got to look at their, what, like where their eyes are going out, like what angle their eyebrows are going at. Is their mustache going up or down? Do, do they look like Mario or Luigi or warrior? Like who do they look like? I mean, I, I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but what I try to do is that I, I try to go for the bigger uh, cluster of signs, the ones that are more noticeable. Maybe their arms, maybe their feet, their legs. Their uh, are, are are they maybe are they uh, do they have their hands? Are they, are they covering their mouth or their heart? Are they are their arms crossed? And the reason why is because, like Aliza mentioned in the beginning, I work in physical therapy. I'm I'm in the middle of getting my doctorate. I've been already doing physical therapy for so many years as a physical therapist assistant but now I'm going to get in my doctorate, but I've, but like for me, it's a little bit more easier to just look at movement patterns. Cause that's what I do almost every day. And I, that's, that's what I see. And an interesting thing is that the further a body part is away from the heart, the harder it is to control it consciously. Right? So for example, a very, so it's easier for someone to control their arm movements because it's closer to their heart 
than maybe to control the way their feet is going. So like one of the ones, there's this one body language tip that really stuck with me ever since I, I read it years ago is that, and there's debates on this uh, on and off is that when you're speaking to someone, right. And eat, like, even though they could be looking at you and their body language is at you, directly at you, but if their feet is pointing somewhere else, subconsciously, they really don't want to be in the conversation or they don't want to be there. Right. Again, there's a whole debate on it. I really, I, I've, I, I look at people's feet all the time. That sounds weird, but not because I have a foot fetish or anything, but based on, based on this one body language thing that I, <laughs> whoa, Jeremy, you got some nice feet there. I like your calluses. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's because, um, I mean, yes, I, I, I'm looking at this body language tip. I mean, also, I do enjoy uh, studying a lot about the anatomy and physiology of, uh, of feet and ankle, but that, that's a different story. But the point is that the point is that that's one tip I've always looked looking at. And I, ju I just try to see, right, also, when it comes to confrontation, I'm always looking at if their hands are covering their, their chest, are, are their arms co like covering their mouth, or are their hands like playing with their hair? Because it means that they're nervous, that they're trying to hide something. Or they keep scratching their nose. They have something to hide. Maybe they are trying to just avoid the problem. But why are they avoiding the problem? So these are like certain things I'm always looking at. Um, so I'm a little bit on the other side in terms of body language. I am not a fan of looking at people's feet and things like that. <laughs> um, because I believe that people are very insecure about their bodies a lot of times. And I think that people are very motivated in terms of covering up certain parts of themselves. And maybe this is just coming um, from my own stuff, but I think that a lot of people will work to try to cover things up and they'll position themselves. And I know, like, think about how many people know what posture they want to take a picture, know which side is their best side, know which, um, where they want their hand is, where they want to tilt their neck, their chin and all that stuff. People think about this a lot because people are worried about how they're seen, right? So body language comes to that. And if someone is not comfortable in a conversation with you, their body language is going to not necessarily reflect what they're feeling about you, but about what they're projecting to you, right? So you want to be careful reading too much into body language. What I will say is the effect you can have on your own body language in terms of your own hormones and stuff like that, because um, I learned about this in my public speaking course, actually, in college, where before you give a, a speech or any type of public talk, you should do something called the Superman pose, which is where you put your feet far apart. There you go. Far <laughs> apart, you put your hands on your, on your hips, because what it does is it releases um, hormones inside you that build up confidence, right? Whereas if you cross your legs, if you put your hands on your neck like this, it releases cortisol in your system which is a stress hormone, right? So what happens is if you see that in a conversation, you're going like this a little bit, or you're crossing your arms or your legs or something like that, could be something in that conversation is stressing you out. So you're going to want to consciously preempt that and kind of like relax a little bit, spread yourself out a little bit. Like don't go like stand up and like Superman because that's a little weird. Like maybe stretch or something like that. Something that like can like look a little bit normal in the conversation to try to lower those levels of cortisol. Side point, cinnamon also really lowers levels of cortisol. Really? Yeah. Uh, Thomas DeLauer on YouTube, I just learned it from him, and I've been doing it, and it really works. Like, it, it, like you can feel a difference. Just put some in your tea or something. Or your coffee and your water, and you're good to go. Yeah, give it like 15, 20 minutes. How much? Uh, just like uh, maybe like a half teaspoon. 
stuff like that. Yeah. Lovely said about the, those are power poses. It was a TEDx. And I was mm -hmm. talking about the, the dynamic of primates and say the, the leader dies, the alpha dies. There's, your beta needs to take over the alpha. So they actually did a study on it and they showed the people that were the, the primates that were below started inhibiting like more power poses. And there's an actual shift in brain chemistry that turns them into more of a leader, makes them more confident and feel good. So they can, there's like a chemical, like in the genetics, it is a chemical change to make them an alpha. So there's a, it's really cool. So you see like universally when someone wins a race or something, they put their hands up. Yeah, exactly. Kind of done it. Another really good one I, I like is breath. And I want to kind of piggyback when you're talking about if you're stressed out, just look at your breath. Not really trying to change it, just observe it. Mm -hmm. That one is uh, helped me a lot. Yeah, when it comes to the the breathing stuff, um, it's interesting because actually a lot of people don't know how to breathe well. Uh, and there's like everyone's a chest breather or maybe they're not a chest breather, they're a belly breather, but you, but you need to actually breathe really deep from, 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 from the diaphragm. But a lot of people don't know how to do that because it could be difficult. And, and right. And there's a great exercise that you want to learn how to, how to, how to, cause the whole point is that yes, you need to inhale. A lot of people put more emphasis on inhaling, but it's exhaling. You need to push out as much air out of your lungs. They say that the they say that the, uh, a lot of a lot of people they don't breathe they, they don't exhale the bottom portion of the air in the lungs. So in order to learn how to do that, you have to learn how to exhale better. And what some people do is that they, they'll take a balloon, they'll lie on their back, and they'll have the balloon. And what they'll do they they'll, they'll, they will inhale for like like two seconds, and then it's more about exhalation. And they'll exhale into the balloon, and they'll try to make it as big as they can. And you know that you're doing it correct. When you feel, when, when you feel that, that, that when, if you place your hands on your stomach, on the side of your stomach, if you can quote unquote feel your obliques or you feel that your ribs are being aligned and the balloon has grown big, that's how you know that you're exhaling properly. So I just thought it was pretty interesting because you mentioned breath. Yeah. So well, I've, heard, I've heard something similar. It's the, it's the dynamic of breathing in doesn't matter, but it is the exhale. And the, the study I saw that helps is breathing out as slow as you possibly can to kind of reset it. So I notice when I'm stressed out or going through something, my breaths are really quick. There's a lot, like our emotions are tied to our breath. More yeah. Than we can care. For sure. Probably a beautiful question. I feel it. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm sidetracked a little bit. My four-year-old came in wanting to pet the bunny. <laughs> That's why I went off camera for a minute. I was like, Please sleep. I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I, I had to bribe her with the donut. So. Oh, wow, that a donut. Some bribe. Sometimes you get a bribe. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have a question, though. So I wonder if there's any different tips that you give for conversation when you're having to talk on the phone. So I know myself struggling with social anxiety. You know, I've helped a lot of other people and talked with other people with struggling with social anxiety as well. And talking on the phone seems almost to be uh, a more, you know, socially anxious trigger than talking to people in person. So I wonder if there's like any uh, like different tips that would you get that you would give for someone trying to talk on the phone. It's so funny you bring this up. I used to do sales over the phone, 
and we had so many like meetings about how to like do the sales over the phone, how to stay engaged in the conversation. Um, what one of the people I saw used to do um, is a lot of times when people are on the phone, you don't want to listen as much because there's nothing you're really looking at, right? Like you're kind of like just using your auditory skills. So what they would do is that like most people, like they just want to talk. Like they're like, okay, you finished talking already so that I can talk and be re-engaged again, right? Mm -hmm. So what he did that I started doing actually is when it wasn't his turn to talk, he put the phone on mute so that he couldn't talk, right? And that you are forced to just listen, right? And what also helps a lot to stay engaged in a phone call is to take notes as you're listening to them. I know it sounds like a little bit nerdy, like what, you have to take notes on a phone call? Like obviously not every phone call, but if it's a conversation you wanna take really seriously, I would take some notes on it just so that you can really hear what they're saying. Because when you're taking notes, you're using a different part of your brain and a different sense at the same time, right? You're not just relying on auditory because not everyone is an auditory learner, right? You're gonna use visual because you're looking at the paper at the same time. You're using tactile because you're using your hands at the same time. So you're using three senses instead of one. So that's number one, what I would say. Um, but also when you turn off mute and you go back into that conversation, you want to give them the security that you're actually listening to them, right? Because a lot of people, like, it, I think it's more of a subconscious thing, but when someone's on the phone with you, like, I know in my head, it's always popping up, like, what are they actually doing right now? Like, are they on the computer? Are they on Facebook? Are they on a TV? You want to show the other person that you really are listening to what they're saying so that they feel more comfortable in the conversation. So we're going to say like, okay, so I just want to make sure that I'm getting this straight. And this is a little bit more salesy, the way that I'm saying it, you have to cater it to like a regular call. Um, and you kind of play back what they said. Obviously not every detail, but the main points, right? Um, in if you want to take this more on like a friendship level, um, what I would say is just like, okay, um, I just, I really want to be able to understand what you're telling me. Um, are these kind of what the main things that you're saying? Like, are these the things that are bothering you? Are these the things that um, you want to talk about or something like that? Try to make it a little bit more social, um, but just throw it back there. Show them that you're taking the conversation seriously. That's what I would say. And the people who are listening, if they want to learn a little bit more about like, like, like how to like deal with conversations over the phone, there's a great book. Uh, the whole book is not about conversations over the phone, just letting everyone know that. But there is a section in that book. It's called The Art of Persuasion. Um, Art of Persuasion. Uh, I forgot the last name of this guy, but his first name is Bob. I know that, but I forgot his last name, but it's called The Art of Persuasion. I read oh, it like a couple of times. Bob, I forgot his last name. But um, there's a, a section in that book where it speaks on how to converse with people over the phone, like like salesy also, but also when it comes to friendship. Uh, because also a lot of people feel like so much anxiety, like you, Kyle, because you have to remember, you're not seeing the person, you're not seeing their body language, you, all you can hear is maybe how they say things and the words they're saying. That's really it. So you feel very limited. You're like, oh, my God, like I feel limited. I can't really I can't see what they're doing or what they're not doing. Like, how can I really do the best out of this conversation? That's why me personally, I always try to do like FaceTime calls. Uh, of course, not in every situation you can do a FaceTime call or a Zoom call or a Skype call. But if I can, it's, it's much better. Mm -hmm. It's much better because now. 
your because well, it also depends what the purpose of the, of the conversation is. Are you trying to lure in a man or a woman? Are you trying to sell <laughs> to lure them in into, in, into your world? Are you trying to sell something? Are you trying to apologize or try to solve of an issue? So if they can see you, a lot of times it is better. It is better, and your chances do go higher depending on your goal. But that's why I feel a lot of people are so scared when it comes to phone conversations and people would rather text. Everyone wants to text, but a text can be, can be taken the wrong way. And there's so many issues when it comes to texting. Of course, it has its own, it has its place. Of course, I personally hate texting. I hate it. I don't do, I, I mean, like even if, even if I have to text someone, what I'll do is I'll send them a, a voice recording either on Instagram or WhatsApp or on the iPhone messenger. Cause I want them to hear me. And I, I, I just, I do better with voice and with vision than be better with, with, with text. Because you can apply tone. you can apply tone and stuff. Even when I got to know Aliza in the beginning, I, we barely texted. I would just send their voice recordings and, and so on. So yeah, that's he what we did. He did that. He did that to me too. I yeah. did? Yeah. 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 He still yes. does. <laughs> we were wondering, like, he really likes voice messaging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This, that's another one where like, he sticks out. Like Kyle and I had a fun little challenge about who can get a person on the podcast with just voice, <laughs> using voice. <laughs> yeah. I want to piggyback on what Eliza said as far as uh, taking notes. I think I, I noticed, I, I learned this accidentally because I, uh, I was coaching. And when I would take notes for a call, it does two things also, like on top of what you're talking about. And one is like, hold on, I'm taking notes to say it out loud. Because then the other person is like, oh, this person's taking this call seriously. So then they're going to go ahead and then take it more seriously. So there's more, there's more to that. I just wanted to piggyback on that. And then um, I have someone for our respect. I got it. Gosh. It, it'll, it'll come back to you. but hey. <laughs> Just one last thing to remember. I think that a lot of people like texting also better than calls because they're nervous about being able to end the call, right? Like mm -hmm. with a text, you can send a text and forget about it. Like you don't have to deal with that for a little bit until they tend back and then you have to, you can wait till they see that you read it and then all this stuff, right? Like there's a whole game going on. Um, but with a call, you're kind of just there, right? So remembering in a call, like maybe like if you see that you like texting more, try to work on skills for closing conversations without doing it rudely. Like I remember when I first started dating Aurus, I actually asked him like to help coach me on that because I hated phone calls because I hated ending them like I always feel awkward and rude and all these things um so if you find that you're nervous from phone calls maybe that's something that you should try to tackle first like getting confident in your skills to end a conversation when you want to go do something else I want to piggyback on this this is that's a great tip uh but it's what we always talk about is reps right don't see the conversation of I need to get this from this conversation I'm going to have just 10 conversations just to just to get the practice in that's what it comes down to and also, I think a really good, and I've learned a long time ago, is kind of set a, t a time constraint in the beginning of the conversation. I'm like, hey, listen, Iris, um, I'm so glad we can connect. I only can talk for 10 minutes just to let you know. So I'm going to tell you right now, right now. So like, oh, yeah, it's been 10 minutes. I had a great time, blah, blah, blah. That's a good one I kind of used to, I, sometimes I used to use when I was like still working on it. Mm -hmm. It helps you because you feel confident, like with the rest of the conversation, you're throwing all your information in there. And now it's up to them to understand it and take it in. And then on top of that, if you only have 10 minutes to talk, you want to get more in on the 10 minutes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. Kyle, go ahead. <laughs> do, you want, do you want me to ask a question or? or? 
No, you, I, oh, no, no, question. <laughs> no, no question. question. No question. Speaking of time, that's <laughs> why. It's funny because you were uh, talking about setting time constraints, and we usually tell people that we're interviewing, you know, it usually takes like 45 to 60 minutes. Uh, I just saw we we're at the hour mark, and I didn't want to take up too much of your guys' time. But uh, um, yeah, I'll go ahead and ask the question if you have more questions. At. Anyways, we ask all our guests this question. <laughs> and it is um, so if there's one message you could spread to the entire world, just kind of, you know, billboarding it, what would it be? What would that, what would that message want to be? Uh, Mine, the, the message, which is actually our brand name called Conversation Guru. We, we strive, Aliza strives to be a conversation guru. I try, I strive to become a conversation guru is to basically become your own conversation guru. Learn the communication skills that you need for whatever type of environment or scenario situation you need, but keep honing these skills so that you can get what you want, either at work, in a relationship, uh, family-wise, whatever you want, it is attainable with the proper communication skills, with the right, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't wanna say techniques, but like, I'll say it for now, like techniques, principles, uh, these communication skills can get you from, from where you are now to where you wanna go. Of course, there's other factors come and play with communication, right? But if I had to put it on a billboard, it'll be something like, become your own convo guru, become your own conversation guru, something like that. Um, so a while ago, I was training for a very big competition, right? And I used to have to train a lot. And sometimes I wasn't in the mood. And my teacher um, said this one line to me that struck me. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. And he said, Aliza, don't lose for yourself. Which basically means that don't lose because of something you didn't do. Lose because the other person beat you. Lose because of something that happened to you. But never let it be because you did it. Like you didn't put in enough effort. You didn't, you weren't confident enough in yourself. You didn't think about something or things like that. Always try to put as much as you can. Don't let yourself hold yourself back, right? Like if you see that you're not confident, don't let that hold you back. Don't let it be you that's holding yourself back. Go and try to fix it. If it's something like, you didn't get the job because someone else was way more qualified. That's a different story. But don't lose the job because you didn't prepare for the interview. You know, like, make sure that you're not holding yourself back. That's what I would say. Yeah, that makes it to where you're easier on yourself, too, you know, as outside factors. It wasn't you. You went in. You put in all the effort. You know, you gained the skills that you needed to. And, you know, it just wasn't your day or, or whatever. So, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. Yours is all right, Aris. <laughs> it, reminds, it, reminds, it reminds me of Ratatouille. Anyone can cook. Your conversation yeah. guru, kind of similar. Anyone, Jeremy, anyone, back me up here. Back me up. Anyone, anyone could be a conversation guru, okay? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so, yeah, where could uh, people that are listening, where could they find you? Uh, they could definitely find us online. Uh, so on Instagram, uh, it's conversation, uh, convo, sorry, convo, no. Wait a conversation minute. Guru. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about our website. Uh, in Instagram, conversation guru, everything lowercase, conversation guru, G-U-R-U. The same thing is for uh, on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, convo guru, conversation guru. And our podcast, converse with anyone, anywhere um check us out yeah it's on every single podcast platform on anchor 
uh, the Apple one, Spotify, converse with anyone, anywhere. We have some new podcast episodes. I think we have more than 60 episodes already. Something like more 60 or 70, something like that. But you guys, ch check us out and please give us your comments. Yes, send us questions. We love, love, love questions. We'll actually send you back a personal answer just to your message. So please send us questions. We love them. Amazing. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you.